Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, before we get into today's episode, we're going to hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. Again, the place that you can send any questions, any concerns, uh, any feedback you have for us. We appreciate any feedback you have. Uh, today, it's a question. Um, it's, it's a question from an anonymous listener. Uh, Dr. List, I know how much you love jokes. Do you know any jokes in any other languages? Hey, that's that's a great question. Uh, thanks for thanks for the question. Um, I do, in fact, um, I speak Spanish a little bit, um, so I, I do know a couple jokes in Spanish. Uh, I looked up uh, due to our Russian friends who uh, are very interested in this podcast and and love to listen to this podcast. And again, I'm sure it's medical professionals, not just Russian bots. Um, but probably my favorite non-English. Uh, jokes that I've that I that I know are in sign language, and they're really good. They're really good. You've definitely never heard them before. All right, let's let's start the podcast. The primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List. Here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Oh, my voice cracked there. Uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, it's your boy, Dr. Mark List, your favorite podcasting host, uh, bringing you another episode of your favorite podcast. And I know that's true. You don't have to hide it from me. I know. I know I'm the greatest. I know this is the best. Oh, that's a little. That's a little. Uh, that's a little much today. Let's dial it back. Uh, this on this adequate and fine and acceptable podcast uh, that you enjoy listening to. Uh, we today are going to hit up another episode. So. Uh, the episode I want to talk about today. So the topic I want to talk about today is uh, a little bit of a decision-making algorithm, okay, a- and a recommendation-based algorithm that it, that's in the gray zone of medicine. Because so, this on this podcast we talk about new guidelines, we talk about new updates, we talk about new research studies, and then I like to talk about a lot of the gray stuff about medicine. And in this case. Uh, I want to talk about the meningitis B vaccine, the meningococcal B vaccine, right? Uh, 2015, the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which we've talked about in the past, gave a category B recommendation for meningitis B vaccines, which is really just individual clinical decision-making. And the preferred age for meningitis B vaccine is age 16 through 18. So obviously meningitis B is not the other, is not the uh, main uh, source of meningitis protection. We get that with our main series vaccination, which covers uh, A, C, W, and Y strains. So the guideline for obviously the, the main meningitis vaccination is, uh, you know, recommended, everyone should get it, yada, yada, yada. And yet in the meningitis B vaccine, um, which can be administered at ages 16 through 23, right? Um, recommended 16 through 18. It's it's really only it's really only a clinical decision making because of the uh, category B recommendation. And you know, should low risk patients get it? You know, no clear answer to that. Should high risk people get it? Absolutely. And you know, people heard through the grapevine that um, even though your boy. Uh, Dr. Mark List is a very, very strong advocate of um, vaccines and the vaccination process. I don't actually recommend uh, meningitis B vaccines for ages 
18, uh, 16 through 18, uh, my college age patients going away through college, um, I actually don't recommend it. And you may ask, why is that? And, and, and so this is, again, a decision-making process. If a parent wanted to get it, I'm never going to say no. If a patient is at risk, high risk, um, uh, higher risk than the average population, I, I'm definitely going to recommend it. Um, but it's never been something that I've been uh, very passionate about in terms of uh, giving. Um, and I will explain myself to families if they're interested, but it's not one of the ones that I normally recommend. And, and, and why is that? Well, let's pause for a second, okay? So let's go back to earlier in the year. We had a vaccine topic on here, and uh, it was the change in the Prevnar recommendation. That Prevnar used to be recommended for every single adult. Uh, you know, we give Pneumovax, and then, you know, we do Prevnar. We do Prevnar first, and a year later, do Pneumovax. We found out that Prevnar is not as helpful as we thought it was. Uh, the number needed to vaccinate was in the multiple thousands for was uh, over 1,000 for just your general outpatient pneumonia. For invasive pneumococcal disease, meaning sepsis, meningitis, uh, life-threatening illnesses from uh, the you know pneumococcal strains covered by Prevnar was one in 27,000, right? So, and, and it's a pretty expensive vaccine, right? The price tag, uh, uh, pulling up this, my, my notes from the last visit, 26,000, sorry, uh, was between 200,000 and 500,000 quality life year adjusted, uh, you know, dollars per quality life year adjusted, okay? And so we didn't really get a bang from our buck in terms of a public health standpoint. So therefore, it's a clinical decision, individual decision between a patient and a doctor. And still to this day, um, I will offer Prevnar for people who are at risk. But for my average risk patients, I say we no longer, you know, routinely recommend this, but we can definitely do this if you want to have, you know, as, as good of protection as you possibly can. But, you know, we'll have to see about insurance coverage and, and price for it for you to pay for. And so we talk about the pros and the cons. When we talk about the men B vaccine, you know, people ask me, well, Dr. List, you say you're such a vaccine advocate. Why don't you recommend men B vaccine? And I, I, I want to clarify because I, I recommend it for high-risk people, but for low-risk people, the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one case of meningitis B, okay, which again is not as common as some of the other strains or I guess is depends on how you want to look at it. You know, before meningitis vaccinations, it was a, a lesser common strain. Um, now it's still a... a, a a, a possible strain that you can see. And so if you look at the data for, you know, people in college, a college student getting the Men B series, the number needed to vaccinate is 368,000. Okay. And this is not a, a, you know, free vaccine. This is something that costs, uh, whether it's patients or, or families or insurance companies, or Medicaid, uh, whoever is paying for this, uh, it's not a it's not a cheap or free vaccine, and so the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one death, right? So not just case, and we know that meningitis B can be debilitating and doesn't have to kill somebody just to debilitate them. So I, I tend to use that number needed to treat to vaccinate or number needed to vaccinate for one case for a college age. Um, number needed to vaccinate to prevent one death is two million. 297,000. Now, where am I getting these numbers? I'm getting these numbers from the CDC uh, MMRW um, discussion on meningitis B series. 
so freely freely found uh, data that um, you know hopefully not biased. You know, hard to tell with the CDC nowadays, but uh, you know, meningitis be non controversial to- topic. Now the 16 through 18. This is a this is the what about that range in the recommended? Um, so you can give it anywhere between 16 and 23. Obviously through college. College I, I just talked about is not very not very efficacious. So what about 16 through 18? 16 through 18, the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one case is 100,000, 102,000 to 107,000, okay? So again, over 100,000 kids to vaccinate for, to prevent one case of meningitis. Now, meningitis is awful and terrible. And so any, any practitioner out there listening um, who, who says, you know, that, that is enough of a risk because I don't want any of my patients to get meningitis because it can be debilitating. It can, it can lead to horrible secondary outcomes. Uh, it can be really scary. It can even cause death, obviously. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you have to make that decision what between what your comfort level is and, and have that conversation with the patient and the family. Um, and, and the number needed to vaccinate, even in the, the three-year window that it's actually recommended, the, the peak recommendation, the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one death is 630, 638,000 to prevent one death or 788,000 to prevent one death, okay? We talked about how we're not gonna, from a public health standpoint, uh, routinely recommend Prevnar to everybody, but make it an individual decision just because of the quality-adjusted life years, right, at being between $200,000 and $500,000 per year of gained. Um, from a MenB vaccine standpoint, it's $3.7 million per quality-adjusted life year. In the in the best in the best scenario, in the worst scenario, in the college age student who's getting the vaccine series, the it's nine point four million dollars per quality adjusted life year. Now you can argue again; these are young people versus old people. I'm not going to make that argument because that's a a, a a pathway I don't like to go down when I talk about decision making processes for um, healthcare resources, uh, healthcare finances. Uh, but that is certainly a a, a a, a pathway you can choose to go down from a medical ethics standpoint that it's that it's more efficacious to use this money on young people and prevent every single case of burden of disease and death. Um, again, I think the the meningitis vaccination has done a good job in order to um, to lower the incidence of death and disease. And this meningitis B vaccine is again an additional one, um, uh, but I don't think it's nearly efficacious enough to routinely recommended to everybody. Um, and when I have, uh, you know, patients and families come and talk to me at their, you know, 16 to 18 year physical, I, I don't recommend it. I don't routinely recommend it. And I justify that because it's incredibly expensive from a public health care standpoint. It's, in, it's very, very, it's not very efficacious in terms of vaccine, you know, the vaccine likely helping that person, that child that I'm giving it to, that young adult I'm giving it to. So that's my that's my process how I walk through things. Um, I, I as somebody who uh, listens to the podcast had 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 questioned or had 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 asked my opinion on this, and I said, "Oh, it's it's complicated. I didn't really have time to explain it at that time." Um, and, and so uh, it's something that I again I want to talk about today. Now, is it wrong to recommend the MenV vaccine? No, absolutely not. Uh, the harms of the Men vaccine we talk about um, with most. With most vaccines, uh, the the harm is the number needed to harm is 
usually pretty pretty elevated, right? Obviously, you know we're not talking local skin injection, skin site reaction. We're not talking about um, syncopal episodes. We're not talking about pain. We're not talking about sore shoulders um, or local infection of the tissue. Uh, we're talking about major major you know uh, adverse events in terms of you know. Uh, whether that be uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome or some of the other, you know, lesser side effects, seizures, et cetera, that, that's more like one in a million. And so, again, the the benefits, if you're going to outweigh that, um, if you're talking about a college student, if you don't, if, if, if you wait until college in order to uh, get the series, you're more likely to be harmed than you are likely to be saved in terms of mortality. Uh, Case-wise, again, you're still three times more likely to be benefited than to be harmed. But three to one is a pretty small ratio compared to most of our childhood vaccines, which are, you know, in the thousands uh, to to one uh, benefit, uh, the benefit to harm ratio. Um, If you get in that in that perfect 16 through 18 window when you can give the vaccine, uh, you get about a 10 to one benefit to 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 risk ratio in terms of 100,000 to a million. And from death standpoint, it's, you know, 600,000. 638,000 to a million harmed. So again, I, I, there's still benefit. It's not like the, the there's more risks than benefits. Uh, so it's not wrong to give it. Um, I just, again, I personally, um, after reviewing the data, I don't I don't think it's a great vaccine in terms of overall efficaciousness and, and disease burden reduction. So uh, that's a topic where, again, um, somebody asked my opinion on a gray zone in medicine. And that's how I address those gray areas when it's, it's not perfectly clear black and white what to do. Uh, try to look at the data, look at the studies, uh, and make a an evidence-based decision to how I'm going to run my practice. Again, I still have that open conversation about, you know, there's still this optional men B vaccine out there. I don't routinely recommend it, but if uh, it's something you guys are interested in, if you research it and you want to know more about it, here's some information, a handout, or, you know, a website in the CDC or uh, other vaccine websites um, that can give parents more information about it. Um, and again, people ask my opinion. I say, well, this is why I don't always routinely recommend it, et cetera. And, and, that's, and that's how I practice. So um, again, a controversial topic, a gray zone topic that um, I tend to skew on the uh, less is more, uh, just given the, uh, the you know, minimal uh, efficaciousness. I also think it's important that we be open and honest about um, the fact that we recommend childhood vaccines and most of these other vaccines because they do work and they are, they have high efficacy and they are from a cost perspective, uh, reasonable from a public health standpoint. And so I think when we see something that's outside of that window, we don't always necessarily have to jump in on that bandwagon if it's not helpful. So uh, that's my thoughts. Uh, let me know if you uh, strongly disagree, if you hate me now, uh, if, you, uh, if you agree with me, that's great. Um, but again, uh, hopefully this was helpful in how I uh, addressed uh, or address the gray parts of medicine um, and how I use evidence and, and science to uh, help me make decisions. So uh, that's, the, that, that's the topic for today. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, remember, reminder, you don't need to stay up all night. Stay up to date. This has been Dr. Mark List uh, signing off until next week. Have a great week.